Good morning, everybody. Preston, good job at the table this morning. Good job reading the scriptures. I love seeing the young men up here reading the scriptures. Amen. It's such a it's such a great thing to see our you know our young men stepping up and wanting to get involved in, in in the worship service. Pat, you did a wonderful job on the table this morning. Chuck, you always do a wonderful job, and I just wanna just wanna commend Chuck. Right? How many of us sometimes make excuses why we don't do certain things because well. Like Pat said, you know, I'm sure, you know, the number, the list could probably be long of why we don't do certain things. And yet he has trouble seeing the words. He's got a bulging disc in his back. He's having trouble moving. And you know what he wants to still do? Get up in front of the church to, to, to worship uh, God in song, right? To, to sing praises of, of, uh, to the Lord. And I just, I commend him for that. And so I, I just want us all to consider that. The next time we're, we're, we're about to make an excuse... Stop and think about that for a minute. You know, how many people who uh, have the desire to serve, and they do serve, even with some different uh, uh, health ailments or disabilities that they may be dealing with at a certain time. And so, Chuck, I uh, just, uh, just want to thank you for that, brother. You always do a wonderful job. You know, this morning, as we uh, look on the screen behind me, the lesson is diligently adding to your faith. Diligently adding to your faith. But before we really get into the lesson, I want to just kind of give you a little, uh, a little factoid here. Did you know? Did you know that there are St. Bernards in the Swiss Alps? You guys ever seen a St. Bernard? Big dog, right? Hairy dog, you know, just slobbery dog, right? And, and some people have them as pets, and I think to myself, why in the world would you want one of those as a pet? I mean, I mean the drool's just, you know, hanging down from their jaws and their lips, and, you know, and it's all over the place, and they shake their head, and you got to duck because you don't know where it's going. And I think to myself, why would you want a St. Bernard? But, you know, I was looking at illustrations for this week's uh, lesson, and, and there are St. Bernards in the Swiss Alps. And, these Swiss, and, and they use these uh, St. Bernards. They seek out travelers who are, who are lost in the storms. And they need a big, hardy dog. And it's said that they take their mission very seriously. If you've ever known uh, dogs, dogs who are actually trained, not like most of our dogs that you know, have no training, but dogs who are literally trained uh, to do certain tasks, right? They're working dogs. Those dogs, when they, don't, when they don't perform like they're supposed to or when they don't fulfill their mission, they become discouraged, kind of like people become discouraged. And so, you know, one of these dogs returned late one afternoon. The dog was exhausted. Uh, from fighting through the very deep snowdrifts in the Swiss Alps. And this dog returns to its kennel and it just goes and lays down in the corner. Passed by its food, got a little bit of water, and just went and laid down. And the, 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 the master, the owner of this dog, comes up and he's, he's looking at it. He's trying to encourage it. He's trying to you know, cheer it up a little bit. And this dog was just kind of pouting, pouting in the corner of his kennel. Was he sick? No, not physically. But spiritually, kind of, right, you know, uh, uh, emotionally, if you will, the dog was disheartened. He was discouraged. Brethren, I want us to kind of think of us, as we go throughout life, right, as we think about our faith, I want us to kind of think of ourselves as St. Bernard's. Have you ever really thought about that? I want us to think about ourselves as St. Bernard's because in this illustration, as we go out into the mission field of the world, as we search for lost so so uh, souls in the snowdrifts of life, May this be our attitude. May this be our attitude when we become saddened, when we go out and another day has passed and we return home and yet we still have not found a soul to save. 
You see, that dog came back home discouraged. Discouraged because he couldn't complete his task. He couldn't complete his mission. And so that St. Bernard knows exactly what his purpose is. He knows what his purpose and his mission is in life. And he, and he gets up every day that he's called upon. And he drudges through the deep snow drifts, looking, seeking for somebody to save. And I just pray that each and every one of us will eventually mature to have a similar mindset. You know, there's a gentleman who's a Christian named Ray Fullenweider, and he wrote a book called The Servant-Driven Church. And in this book, he talks about the dreams of God's servants. And he talks about a, a particular servant uh, in, 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 in general. And he called upon uh, this, uh, this individual, and he tells this individual story about how he believes that God has put us here for such a time as this. God, through his providence, has put us here for such a time as this. And with a childlike faith, this servant in the book that he's writing about, he believes that God could use him to make a, a significant difference in the world. I wonder how many of us believe that God could use us to make a significant difference in our communities, a significant difference in our families, a significant difference in our, in our friend, friend units. Brethren, that servant believes very strongly in the care and the guidance and the providence of God. And it has been said that providence is the hand of God in the glove of history. And what that simply means is that is if you look out over history, if you look out over your own life, if you keep a prayer journal, you should be able to then reflect back on life and see how God's providence has been working in your life. How God has brought people into your life to bring about his will, to bring about, help you to fulfill your purpose, and to bring about, well, maybe an answer to prayer. And so this servant believes that each and every person that, that belongs to God in the local church has been called together for such a time as this. For such a time as this, as in what? As in to fulfill our mission, to fulfill our purpose. And we've talked about here recently who we are, as I did a couple of lessons on, and as we had the Down River Spring Lectureship on, uh, on Ephesians. We learned who we were. We learned whose we were. We learned what our purpose is and many other things. And so, brethren, in the book, the servant makes plans, but you know what he does that, that's many times different than many of us, what we do? He never leaves God out of his plans in this book that Brother uh, Fullenweider had written. And so how often do we make plans but leave God out of those plans? You see, as a servant of God, he enjoys seeing God's hand at work. He, enjoy, he enjoys seeing God's hand at work, not just in his life, but in the lives of family and friends around him. But you can only see God's hand at work in your life if you really are, if you trust and obey. Then you can see God working through you. Brethren, let us consider the premise of that book, that the, the dreams of God's servants. This morning, I want us to ask ourselves a question. Are you the servant of God? And if you're a servant of God, what is your dream? What are your dreams? Have you ever thought about that? As a servant of a holy and righteous God, what are, what are my dreams for my faith? I know many of us say, I want to get to heaven. Well, that's great. You've got to do something in between there, though. What are your dreams? What's your mission? What's your purpose? How many of us here, how many of us were here with this congregation, uh, when this congregation built this building? I don't see any hands going up. There was none of us that were here? Well, of course not. You know why? Because they built this building like 96 or 97 years ago. And so I didn't expect to see too many hands in a 100-year-old building. 
And if we were, then that's going to be a pretty, uh, pretty awesome thing. But I only ask this question because this facility, this building, this congregation was the dream of a couple servant families from a time gone by. There were a couple families who got tired of going down to Vinewood and were, were really wished that they could have something closer to home. And that the church started, I believe it was in a living room, and then eventually, uh, right down the street, and eventually it became to what we know today. But the point is, the dream started with two people who were servants of God, who had a dream. And they wanted to make that dream a reality, and that dream came to be a reality, because as servants who were entrusted with a mission from their master... They sought their lives, they sought, they sought out the lost, the spiritually lost, even in the storms of life. I wonder how many of us really truly seek out those, who which, those which are lost. You know, brethren, they were, in a sense, these gentlemen, these families, kind of were like those St. Bernards. And now we are benefiting. We are benefiting from their dedication. We are benefiting from their faith. And we know that we're standing really on the shoulders of the two generations who came before us. Because a generation is usually equals about 40 years. Well, we're about 96, 97 years. I don't know the exact number, but I know we're rolling up, getting close to a 100-year anniversary. And so I simply say all that to say, today I want us to ask ourselves, what is our dream? What is our vision, individually and collectively as a congregation here at Lincoln Park? You see, those men, they wanted to build up a congregation. They wanted to build up a facility here locally that the, that the saints could come to, that they could worship together. But it wasn't like, okay, let's just build the building. Guess what you needed first? You needed more saints. And what did they do? How did they attract more saints? Well, they, they lived out their faith. They showed Jesus and others. They, they were a reflection of Christ to others, and that others wanted to come to Christ. Others wanted to know more about their Jesus. Why? Because they were godly men and women. And that these families did, were doing everything they can to teach and to preach and to, and to raise people up in Christ. They understood what their mission was. They were kind of like that St. Bernard. The St. Bernard that came back dejected one day when he couldn't find somebody to save. I wonder how dejected we become when we can't find somebody to save. You see, brethren, you think about these dreams. You think about our mission and what our purpose is. And then I want you to ask yourself, does your dream that you have collectively for your faith, does your vision match up with God's mission? Think about that for a second. Does your individual spiritual dreams or vision match up with God's mission for the church? Again, what, what is God's mission for the church again? To go. To go where? Go out into the world and do what? To seek and save that which is lost, right? To remind them, to teach them, to, to obey all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Brethren, many stories of the difficulty of this building and how this building, had, before it became to be a reality, I'm sure there's probably many stories that could be told of the difficulties that those families went through trying to actually build up what we know to be the Lincoln Park Church of Christ today. You see, brethren, those, you go back and you look at those generations, and we see how strong the church was. But now we're in a society, and we're, we're in a time, in a, in a moment in time, to where the, the churches of Christ are, well, they're dwindling. They're dwindling in number, meaning the number of congregations. They're dwindling in attendance. And I'm here to tell you that it's not doom and gloom, but we need to renew our mindsets. 
We need to kind of remember who we are and what our goal is, what our mission is. And we should not ignore the sad spiritual reality that is the Christian church in America. And I say we shouldn't ignore the sad spiritual reality because a lot of people want to talk about the glory days, but they don't really want to talk about the reality of who we are today and what's going on in the church today, what our goal is, what our dream is, what our vision is. And what are we, what is, what is the next generation going to think about when they look back on our generation? What did we accomplish? What is our goal? What is our dream as a congregation? And so, brethren, instead of focusing on the negative, I want us to focus on really a process. You see, the Apostle Peter, if you had your Bibles open to 2 Peter, I'll have it on the screen behind me as well. The Apostle Peter, he gives us the building blocks for faithful Christians. And if we make these building blocks our own, and then we start to understand who we are, and we start to put a plan in place, we start to have a dream, a vision, for what we want this congregation to be, and what I want to accomplish as an individual, as an individual a servant in the Lord's church. Brethren, those are all good things, but we just have to make sure that our mission, uh, or our vision, is that of the mission that God has given us. I believe it to be prudent, brothers and sisters, to remember what Peter says about the building blocks. And so when you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and you get to verse 5 and 8, and I know me and Tyler have talked in the past, and this is a passage of scripture that he really likes, and it says, but also for this very reason, he says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue really just means moral excellence. So add to your faith moral excellence, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control Perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you look at 2 Peter chapter 1 here. Peter tells us that the process of knowing God and who you are begins with diligence. And it goes from diligence to effort, right? Perseverance, commitment. And that there needs to be a resolve to the process. Well, if you know anything about a process, a process is a series of steps that usually build upon one another, is it not? And so you come to know God and you eventually become pleasing in God once you understand the process. And so that you understand that in the beginning that we're babes in need of the spiritual milk of the word. And that as we grow from the spiritual milk of the word, eventually we start to eat of the meat of the word. Well, what does that mean? It means that in 2 Peter here in chapter 1, you go from um, a virtue to knowledge, knowledge to self-control, self-control to perseverance, godliness to brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness to love. As you go through the process, as you mature in your faith, Brethren, then you can know that you'll be found pleasing in God. You'll be found pleasing in God's sight. And so we need to make sure that we're not only partially committed to the faith process. There's a passage of scripture on the screen behind me. Does this look familiar to anybody? Well, if you attend Bible study on Sunday morning, you know that we've been having memory verses. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 on the screen behind me says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For all who come to God must believe that he is God, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Brethren, Peter, he lists seven pairs of qualities in 2 Peter chapter 1 that, when pursued, lead us to a fuller knowledge of God, lead us to produce more peace and joy and inner strength in our very lives, 
But eventually, you know what it leads to? It leads to not only your own spiritual growth, but it leads to the growth of the congregation. Because you've got individuals who know who they are, they have a, now have a purpose, and they're supposed to wake up every day looking to fulfill that purpose. To, to, to achieve the, the dreams and the visions they have for their individual faith, and then to also accomplish collectively what we try to do as a unit here at the Lincoln Park Church of Christ. And so as we examine these uh, seven sets of virtues, brethren, the first pair is faith and moral excellence. And this process begins with believing in God. Obviously it begins with believing in God. And this is naturally followed by doing what God says. Because faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. Romans 10 and 17, you got to hear the word, determine if you believe it, and then you have to ask yourself, am I willing to go all in? Or am I going to have one of those partial faiths, you know, kind of one foot in, one foot out? Or am I going to go all in? A person's faith grows and and is confirmed when he begins to live according to what he actually believes. The second pair is moral excellence and knowledge that we see on the screen. If you look, I'll pull it back up. That second pair is moral excellence and knowledge. And for a good and pure life, one needs to add knowledge. But it's not just worldly knowledge. It's not just any knowledge. It's information and wisdom that can be gleaned from the very word of God. You need to have a deeper, fuller knowledge of yourself. You need to have a deeper, fuller knowledge of your surroundings, the world in which you live. Uh, in, the, in the problems that plague it, you need to, and most importantly, you need to have a deeper understanding of the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God who gives us all of the information that we need to deal with all of life's problems. You see, there's no, there's no new sin, no new problems we have today that the previous generation didn't have. Oh, sure, we may have more technology, but the problems of life, the sins of life, the things that separate us from a holy and righteous God have been the same ever since the beginning. You could go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and you could go back and you could read through the Old Testament, read through the Gospels, and you'll see many of the things we deal with today are the same things they've dealt with for generation, from generation to generation. Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. That sound familiar? The third pair, brethren, is knowledge and self-control, because a wise person becomes a cautious person. But you become cautious when you become wise. Why? Because you're now being led by wisdom. A knowledgeable person begins to understand the nature of the enemy. A knowledgeable person in the word of God begins to understand the strengths of the enemy. Talking about Satan. A knowledgeable person understands what it means to control oneself. To control one's tongue. To control one's thoughts. Who here isn't in charge of their own tongue? Who here isn't in charge of their own thoughts? You see, brethren, a knowledgeable person understands what they're to do with those negative thoughts when they enter into your mind. And the surest way to maintain faith and moral excellence is through self-control. That fourth pair that, uh, that he mentions there in 2 Peter chapter 1 is self-control and perseverance. You know, once the ABCs of the Christian walk are learned, meaning faith in God, holy living, and self-control... The key will be to continue in these things, to continue on in those things, regardless what is happening in life. No matter the medical diagnosis, no matter the family problems, no matter the career problems, no matter the political uh, problems and strife that we see within this country, we are all to maintain our faith, we are all to maintain holy living, and we are all to maintain control 
over our hearts and our minds, control over our thoughts and our tongues. Brethren, when you do those things, Peter is teaching us that, it is, that it, it's important to cultivate the ability to persevere, to continue on, to remain steadfast in these things, in the things that we have already learned, and the things that we are beginning to practice. You get to the very fifth pair, and that fifth pair that he mentions is perseverance and godliness in 2 Peter 1. And the point of this, this is the point, brethren, where we go from the rebirth and, the, and we start to see the transformation process. But the transformation uh, from the new self becomes more evident. And do you know why the transformation becomes more evident? Because now you're starting to see my faith outwardly. Where if you're starting to see my faith outwardly, it's kind of like what we call spiritual liftoff or spiritual takeoff. Because in the beginning, we're all kind of, you know, we all kind of look like one another in the beginning when we first come to Christ. We're kind of like a plane that's taxiing, you know, on the runway and, and we're moving around and we're getting ready for takeoff. But it takes a while, but we're all still on the ground. But you get to a certain point in your faith. You get a certain point. Uh, into your understanding and your knowledge and your godliness and your love to where eventually you have spiritual liftoff. And brethren, you, you think about that, 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 that analogy of, having, of, of taking flights. In many ways as Christians, we begin, many Christians begin their walk with Christ and it, we pretty much, like I said, we look like everybody else. We're on the ground, we're moving around, we're learning, we're growing but we really haven't had that spiritual liftoff yet. But as we grow and mature in the process, right? You think about the, the fruit of the Spirit. You don't, you don't come out of the waters of baptism and you have all the fruit of the Spirit. It's a lifelong process. You may never get all of them. But it's something that we're striving and desiring to achieve. And then you're adding these attributes. You're making them your, your, your own. And eventually you get to the point to where now people can see Christ through you. Because now your faith is actually being displayed outwardly. Your thoughts are no longer pessimistic and, uh, and sinful and worldly. Your thoughts are now more uh, heavenly based, heavenly guided, guided by the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, guided by what God requires of us. So brethren, godliness means to be more, to be more like God and less like our natural self. You know, the Bible talks about our natural self. It's to be more like Jesus and less like the old man of sin that we buried in the waters of baptism. We need to be more like Jesus and less like the dead man that we buried. Brethren, the rebirth process is beginning to show outwardly, and this is when we know we have spiritual liftoff. And the sixth pair is godliness and brotherly kindness. And in John chapter 13 and verse 35, it tells us, By this all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you have love for one another, the one who knows God understands that God sent Jesus Christ to die in order to establish the church. For God loves the church and those who, and those who know God also love the church that Jesus sacrificed himself for. You can't, you can't love the church or you can't uh, know God if you don't love the church. By not loving the church, by criticizing the church, by ignoring or minimizing the importance of the church or the importance of worship by minimizing uh, or becoming unfaithful to the church. Brethren, these are signs that you really don't know God. Because those who know God know that the church is the most important thing. Because it's the bride of Christ, his son. 
To be godly is to be a lover of the church. It's to be a lover of the bride of Christ. And finally, that seventh pair, brethren, we learn about brotherly kindness. We learn about love. Because loving those who love the Lord is a sign that you know the Lord. Loving those who love the Lord is a sign that you're growing and maturing in your faith. But loving those who hate the Lord, loving those who hate you, loving those who hate the church is a sign that you not only know the Lord, but it's a sign that your spiritual maturity has, has entered into the take-off phase. You have spiritual lift-off because you begin to love like Christ. Because you love that which hates you. And only Christ can do something like that. You're able to then forgive those who persecute, persecute you or sin against you. And you're able to do the things that Christ did during his life and ministry as he left the ultimate example for us. And so, brethren, brethren, our knowledge and our transformation is only complete when we begin to love like Christ. You see, so clearly we see, so clearly we see when we examine Scripture why perseverance, brethren, in the, in the kingdom, perseverance in our Christian walk is so crucial to the spiritual growth of us as individual, as well as the growth of this congregation. We have to be able to persevere, be steadfast, continuing on in the work of the Lord continually. But I simply ask the question, what is the work of the Lord? You know, a lot of times congregations like to have busy work, but their busy work isn't necessarily the mission of the church. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are ministries getting in the way of the mission? And if ministries are sometimes getting away of the mission, what are we going to do to make sure that the mission becomes the forefront of our vision? And so these are things that we need to consider. Why, is perseverance, why does perseverance have value? Because like those St. Bernards, it does not quit. And it's only satisfied when they find somebody to save. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth who is dealing with many spiritual problems. And he tells them, therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, you need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is the Apostle Paul teaching the people of, uh, of Corinth? He's telling them to never give up, to never give in. And to keep on doing the work of the Lord. No matter what's going on around you. No matter what peer pressure or temptation. No matter what the, uh, what the pagan religions are doing. Stay focused on your mission. Stay focused on what God has called you to do. And who he's called you to become. If you notice those continual action words in that verse. The continual action words are steadfast, immovable, abounding. Brethren, it's that type of faith. It's that type of dedication that only comes from trusting fully in the promises of God. Somebody is only going to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the Lord if they fully trust in the promises of God. Winston Churchill once said, never give in and never give up. He said, never, never, never. And anything great or small, large or petty, never give in, he says, except to convictions of honor and good sense. I remember what Thomas Edison said, and you can see it on the sign every time you go to Greenfield Village. He says, I never did anything by accident, nor did any of my inventions come by accident. They came through hard work. And I'm here to tell you that living the Christian life is going to be hard. It is going to be difficult. But I can promise you, if you stay the course, if you know what your mission is, 
If you remain steadfast, I can promise you it will be worth it. The question I have for you before I close this lesson down this morning, a couple of questions is, do you believe that God can use you to make a difference in the world? Do you believe that God could use you? Do you believe that God can work through you to save others? Are you doing your part to grow in knowledge and truth? Are you always prepared as a workman, right? Ready to take the message out to others? Most of all, as we think about this, how many here, by a raise of hands, had somebody mentor you in this congregation? Who here was mentored by somebody within this congregation or somebody in a different congregation of the Lord's Church? There's quite a few hands going up of people who are mentored. And that mentorship had led you to where you're at today. Who are you mentoring? That mentorship led to where you're at today. Who are you mentoring? Is that a logical question? Should we always be looking for somebody to mentor? Should we always be looking for somebody to help raise them up in Christ? You see, brethren, I ask that question because I wonder how often we pray and ask God to put somebody in my path that I too could help as I was helped. There's a reason why I often ask, and I often say during uh, sermons or during Bible studies, I'll ask the question, if you're interested in Bible study, get a hold of me, call me, text me, email me, whatever's easier for you. If you want to sit down and study, I'll sit down and study with you. If you, want to, if you have questions, I'll help you to answer those questions. Brethren, I always offer that as I try to pay it forward because I had many men and women who helped to mentor me, who helped to encourage me in the Lord, who helped to get me to where I'm at today. And so I offer that to you. But we also need to get to a point in our faith that where those of us who were mentored and those of us who have had spiritual, uh, have grown and matured in our faith and have spiritual liftoff and have godliness at the core of our minds and have Jesus on the throne of our lives, we need to find somebody to mentor. And we, and we need to pray that God will put somebody in our lives. Brethren, did you know that Jesus thought you were worth it? Did you know that he thought you were worth it? And what's the best way that we can thank Jesus? By living faithfully, by living lovingly, and carrying out the great mission, great, great commission to go out to seek that which is lost. Brethren, in your faith, there's going to be highs and lows. There's going to be ups and downs. And we need to make sure, we must make sure that we stay the course. Jesus himself, during his life in ministry, he experienced many of these highs and lows. He experienced many of the difficulties. One day, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on a, on, on a colt, right, on a donkey, on a foal, and they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. They're shouting, praise, uh, uh, shouting uh, praises of adoration and acclamation. And then days later, those same people are yelling, crucify him. You don't think that was some highs and lows? You don't think there was some difficulties there? You know, you think about one day, Judas is walking with Jesus. The next day, he's betraying him. You see, brethren, what's my point? There's going to be difficulties. Christianity is hard. It's difficult. But it's not impossible, and we must remain steadfast in our Christian walk, never giving up, always abounding in the work of the Lord, like it tells us there uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For Jesus thought you were worth it. I just pray that you know that you're worth it. He thought you were worth it. So why don't we thank him by living faithfully unto him? Brethren, if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, 
and you wish to become a child of God, you wish to, uh, to put on Christ in baptism, you could do that today. You could do that right now. There's no better day than today. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. If you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, if you wish maybe to come forward because you've got something on your heart, maybe you're dealing with something and you want the prayers of the saints, you could come forward as well as we stand and sing the song of invitation.